0: Wouldn't it be nice if uh, after we had our moment of uh, prayer two weeks ago and our moments uh, fasting last week, that what we could do is uh, break out our um, spiritual checklist and check off the prayer box and check off the fasting box, and then we're good to go. And then we don't have to do it again for another year, kind of like taxes. I don't think that's how it works, though. <laughs> What these spiritual disciplines do is they help us get in the rhythm of putting ourselves in a position for God to do the work in and through us. A word of caution with these spiritual disciplines is this, is do not make them laws like like we have to do them, otherwise, you know, that's it we we got to be careful we don't make them laws and make them disciplines. something that we want to do, uh, putting ourselves in a position so God can do the work in and through us. And when we talk about spiritual disciplines, we're really talking about a total transformation of our entire body, our mind, body, soul. We're talking about everything being transformed so that we are connected closer with our Savior. And in fact, Richard Foster says this, Nowhere is this purpose more clearly seen than in the discipline of study. Because what study does, it helps us in every single way. Romans 12, the Apostle Paul writes, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Say mind. The part of study is focusing on our minds, and it helps our minds to ponder the great things of God, to process what God is doing, what God has done, and what God will continue to do. And this discipline here is, is, is broad. We could study nature and see the greatness of God could study nature. We could study the great theological works of the second, third, and fourth, and fifth centuries. We could study um, so many different things. But for our purposes, what we're going to do is we're going to study Scripture. That's what we're focusing on today, the, the spiritual discipline of study, focusing on Scripture. Now, it is important that when we think about study, that we come to it with a humble heart. Sometimes what happens is we come to study and we read something and we learn stuff. And we read more and we learn more stuff. And then all of a sudden we have this like prideful spirit. (laughs) Like I know more than you. We may not say it out loud, but we might say it in here. We might say, well, I disagree with you, and I'm right because of this, 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 and this, and this, and this. The discipline of study has nothing to do with that. The discipline of study has to do with us putting ourselves in a position to learn more about God's Word, to learn more about what God would have us to learn. And when it comes to be a prideful thing, we miss the entire point of this wonderful discipline of study. And so... As always this uh this series comes from the book Celebration Discipline it's uh Classic book by Richard Foster, ran over 40 years ago. I think there's more than two or four million copies sold in that time, which is amazing in terms of the traditional book realm. And it is a classic and a great introduction to spiritual disciplines. And um, there are Ohana groups that, that do this. If you're interested, put it on your card. Um, or if you just want to get the book and then follow along, you'll be great. And if you read beforehand, you'll say, wait a minute, I know where he got that. <laughs> it's from this book here. So, why study? Why study? You might be saying, listen, listen, I'm not in school anymore. <laughs> I'm done with that. Why should I study? And I think that's a valid question. But let me read one verse from you in Acts chapter 9. It's Acts chapter 9, verse 43. And this one passage is one of those passages that's easy just to look over. So in Acts chapter 9, verse 43, it says, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now, the tanner in biblical days was someone who worked with dead animals, so he was considered unclean. But, but he said he stayed some time with Simon. Uh, that, that for some time that, that Peter said with, with this person named Simon, Simon the Tanner. Now, here's the, the, the story. You have this city of Joppa. Say Joppa. Joppa. Just sounds cool to say, Joppa. So you have Joppa, and in Joppa, you have this woman by the name of Tabitha. Her other name, her Greek name, is Dorcas. Why are you laughing? I'm just going to see who the junior hires are in here, (laughs) because I laugh, because I think it's funny. All right, Tabitha and Dorcas, same person. So Tabitha was this person, Scripture tells us this, that Tabitha was known for doing good and helping the poor. Hey, you can't go wrong with that. Her reputation was to help other people, to help those who were down and out, and that's what she did. Well, some time had passed, and she passed away. And they started preparing her body for burial. They had her. They've done, you know, the whole burial preparations. But before they went any further, they said, hey, Peter is in the town next to us, a town called Lida. Go get Peter to come over here. So they sent a delegation to the apostle Peter. And they talked to the apostle Peter, who just got done doing some amazing healing um, in the city of Lydda. And they said, "Hey, Tabitha is over there. She's dead. Can you come? You know, do something." So then he comes back and he and he calls them all out of the room. And he goes and here's what happens in this in our account here in Acts chapter nine. So Acts chapter nine, we're going to start reading uh, verse. 40. Peter sent them out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa. And many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now that verse there, he stayed some time. The King James is that, says it's, he tarried. He, he, he stayed longer. And now I'm just processing this. Why did Peter stay? Why did he stay longer? He could have taken that message out to all the other cities about what happened, but he stayed. He could have gone and done this amazing evangelical work all across the the region, but he stayed. And so I think it's important to ask, why did he stay? Did he stay to reflect on what happened? Did he stay to to study with the outcast, Simon um, the Tanner? Why did he stay? We're not really sure, but what we do know is this. Because he stayed, something much bigger than he possibly could have imagined took place. In Acts chapter 10, he has this vision from God where all these unclean uh, things were coming, animals and food. and, And God says, what you have called unclean, I now call clean. And so in Acts chapter 10, verse 34... We read this, and this is right after the healing and and rising Tabitha from the dead. It's, It's pretty amazing. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of uh, but look at this. He says, "He says, I now realize in verse thirty-four how true it is that God does not show favoritism." Is it possible that Peter would not have come to this conclusion—the conclusion that God does not show favoritism, the conclusion that God loves all, the conclusion that He wants all? peoples of all ethnic backgrounds to be part of his kingdom. Is it possible that he would not have come to that conclusion if he would have left Joppa and didn't stay where he was? And because he stayed to reflect on God or whatever would happen, God spoke to him. And God spoke to him in such a mighty way that in Acts chapter 10, we see a drastic change with Jews and non-Jews. Blending and worshiping and doing amazing things together. And so he stayed. And when we talk about the discipline of study, it's important for us to understand that when we study, we have to kind of stay. We have to be still. We have to focus in on what God is there to teach us, what God wants us to know. Because maybe there's something big God has in store for us so let's let's look at four reasons to study one study helps us to think critically study brings us to the scriptures and allows us to ask questions when we read the bible it is good to ask questions in fact as we read the bible it's good to write down all the questions you have say who is this person i don't understand this why is it saying this Ask questions. Questions are good because when we ask questions, it helps us and it puts us in a position to understand what is going on. In fact, the more questions we ask, the more we learn because the more curious we are. God is not afraid of our questions. In fact, God is not afraid of our doubts. The beauty is that we could take these questions and doubts to the Lord. So, one, study helps us with critical thinking. Number two, study helps us concentrates. We have so many things going on in our day and now with the accessibility of our phones and all the fun apps that we could get, it's so easy to be like focusing everywhere. But what study does is it helps us laser in on a particular passage of scripture or a particular a particular theological concept or a subject matter. It helps us to laser in, and when we do that, we concentrate. So study helps us with critical thinking. Study helps us concentrate. Third, study helps us comprehend the truths of Scripture. The truth will set us free. In fact, more fully in john eight thirty two, 32 we 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 read this then you will know the truth you will know the truth and the truth will set you free Part of the setting us free is knowing the truth, knowing the truth of Scripture, knowing that Jesus has a plan, knowing that Jesus is the way, is the truth, is the life, is knowing that. That's the important part of studying, is knowing that God revealed to us in Scriptures. And when we study, we develop our comprehension skills. When I first applied to go to college, I was second semester my senior year of high school. So that's, if you don't know, that's not the time to apply for college. <laughs> you do it much earlier on. And I, I, I got in, and I don't know how they accepted me because my grades in high school were not that good because my focus was on other things. <laughs> Jesus, on Jesus. Uh, what were you all thinking? So so, so I, I, I got into college, and um, Part of my high school years was, you know, not really focusing on reading and homework and all that stuff. And I realized that when I got to college, I was in trouble because I would read the syllabi, all 4,000 of them, <laughs> and I'd realize, oh, I have to read. Oh, there's projects. Oh, there's more reading. Oh, there's more projects. And I had not read a book by myself. I had not read a book by myself all throughout high school. A book by myself I had not read cover to cover. Maybe one book. Maybe there was one book unless it was like the, uh, which I love, the class reading time where everyone would take a page and read. That was great because you could kind of zone out and all that but don't ever do that. But, so what happened was I would realize I got to college and, and, and I would start reading for these classes. These theology classes, these history classes, and I'd read a page, and then I would ask myself, What did I just read? Anyone ever been there? And then I would read it again. What did I just read? And it was frustrating. It was so frustrating because I had to spend so much time retraining my brain how to read, like, like retraining myself how to think. And it took time, and it was frustrating, and it took effort. But I'm telling you, like as time went on, It got better and better and better and better, you know, from the fact when I I had to learn how to read almost or learn how to reread to to by the time I graduated was night and day. But what the key was, was was the comprehension skills and was focusing on what was in front of me but not giving up because there will be times we'll be reading scripture, we'll be reading a book, we'll be reading something, and you know what will happen? we'll get frustrated and we'll just set it aside. But when we come to the discipline of study and we come to those difficult passages of Scripture, let's not set it aside, but let's wrestle with those difficult passages of Scripture. Because when we wrestle with those passages, when we we try to figure out what is really going on and we start asking these questions, we start thinking critically, God starts doing some amazing things in that passage there as we are diligent, and staying focused. And it's it's exciting when we're doing the study, and we're studying something, we're processing it, and then all of a sudden we have that aha moment, like, oh, I get it. Isn't that exciting? Like, I get it, because we thought a week earlier, I would never, I get it, I would never understand it. And then all of a sudden, I get it, and it's such a freeing experience. And so when we read, when we study, my challenge for everyone is don't give up Wherever you are in your educational background and your comprehension skills, start where you are. Don't give up because you will have that aha moment and you'll you'll have freedom and you'll have joy. So fourth, study helps us to be reflective. Although comprehension defines what we are studying, reflection defines the significance of what we are studying And when we are studying, we must understand something, that we are to be humble. When we study, we are to come as a student, not as a teacher. I've had the privilege of of working alongside some great minds, some great scholars with multiple books and articles and and really renowned in their field, whether it's New Testament theology, Old Testament theology, um, whether it's uh, just biblical studies or or the original languages, being around them in university worlds, and it's amazing. But can I tell you the ones I respect the most? The ones I respected the most were the ones who I knew were brilliant, but they never once said they were brilliant. Now, there were other friends I had who they told me, in not so many words, that they were brilliant, and they were fun to hang out with and all that stuff, but I didn't have the same respect for them as I did somebody over here who was brilliant, but didn't have to flaunt it and wasn't like, hey, let me tell you why I'm right and why you're wrong. I had a Greek professor in, in uh, my undergrad years, and he was so humble enough. I remember this. Uh, we're doing this exercise where we're asking questions. We had to write like a hundred questions on like one chapter of the Bible. So we'd read a, a chapter, maybe a chapter in mark or something. I think we had to list like a hundred questions. Try doing that. That's kind of difficult. And and then we brought it back, and students were talking about it. And this is a professor of Greek New Testament. He he has this Greek English interlinear, and he is really world-renowned in terms of his uh, New Testament ability. And, and a student, 19, 20-year-old student, when I was 19 or 20, he, he says, oh, I have this one question here. And here's what this Greek professor said. And Dr. Paul McRones, I'll never forget it. He, he says, you know what? I've never thought of that before. Here's a man who studied his entire life. He knew the Greek language from front to back, he had a Greek, English, and a linear, he had books, he had articles, he was well-respected, he had two doctorates, and he said, I never thought of it that way before. Talk about humility. When we come and practice the discipline of study, we are coming as a student, not as a teacher. And in fact, I would say, as followers of Christ, we should always have the posture of a student, not as a teacher, because we are always a student of Christ. And so what we want to do is we want to be reflective. And as part of being reflective means is that we interact with the text. We wrestle with the text. And as we're doing that, we're seeing that the text comes alive in our lives. And that is exciting. John 17 3 says, now this is eternal life that they know you, the true you, the true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now this is eternal life, John says, that they know you. And as we study scripture, we get to know the living God. And it becomes alive and real in us. And it is exciting. So let's ask how to study. How do we study? Let me give you three rules to guide our study. Number one, understand the book. In regards to the Bible, we must understand that the Bible is a unique book. It's actually a collection of 66 books written over a period of 1,500 years by more than 40 different authors on three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. So the Bible has different literary genres. It has poetry. It has apocalyptic. It has history. It has letters. It has um, all sorts of different literary genres. So when we're reading a book in the Bible, uh, we got to figure out what genre is that book in, first of all. Then we have to understand what is the context and the setting that book was written in because Thousands and thousands of years and thousands of years have passed since the writing of the new testament and, and and a lot of these events that have happened and so So what we have to do is understand the first part of understanding is understanding the context understanding the, the period of when it was written. The second is we must interpret what the author is saying, so once we understand the context and the setting, then we can help go and interpret what the author is saying and i'll give you some tools on that and third in regard to biblical text does our interpretation line up with the whole counsel of scripture now if we read a passage and say scripture says jesus does not love anybody we could pretty much say that doesn't line up with the whole counsel of scripture okay fair enough And then we could probably say, we should probably rework that because, in fact, Scripture is clear that Jesus loves us and he wants us to come to know him. But sometimes reading the Bible, maybe it's just me, can be difficult. You pick up the Bible and you're like, okay, I'm going to read it. And maybe you do one of those, mm, okay, I'm going to read this one. And you read something and you're like, what in the world did I just read? (laughs) And I have no idea. And sometimes we set it aside. And the Bible is difficult to understand at times. But if you feel that way, have ever felt that way, you're not the only one. In fact, remember the Apostle Peter who just healed all these people and raised Tabitha, Dorcas from the dead? That Peter, he wrote about the Apostle Paul. This is one of those verses in the Bible that you just easily like look over. All right. The Apostle Peter had trouble understanding of what some of the stuff. Apostle Paul said. It's just mind-blowing. It's in the Bible, so I'm not making it up. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. The Apostle Paul writes the same way in all his letters, speaking to them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. So if you ever had difficult understanding the Bible, you are not alone. You are with the Apostle Peter as well. And so when we talk about studying, it's not always going to be easy, but that's okay. But that's why we wrestle with the text. That's why we kind of work through it. So where do we go from here? We're kind of what's the next part in all of this? One is, let me give you an example of how we could study Scripture. And for that, in your programs, take out this blue handout there in your programs. And on one side, it says inductive Bible study. On the other side, it says learning to be spiritual. Turn to the inductive Bible study part. And this is just one way of doing Bible study, of learning about God. Um, But but bring out this part. And and then we're going to look at a passage and kind of use this as a a guideline. What's the background? Who was the author? Why was it written? Personal paraphrase. As we're looking at a passage, if we could put that passage into our own words, we have a pretty good grasp on what's going on. Questions and answers. Write questions. Questions are good. Try reading a passage of Scripture and then write 50 questions. That's really difficult to do, by the way. But try it. Number four, cross-reference. Maybe we're reading something about the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do in just a second. And maybe we think of the Lord's Supper, we think of, wait a minute, did something have to do with the Passover and Exodus? And then what we could do is go to that reference there and then see the connection and all of that. Five, insights. If you observe something that relates to part of the passage, write it down. Then after you've done this type of study, it's good to consult a commentary and some good, reliable biblical insight. Uh, and then what's the application? How does this passage apply to your life? Because not only do we want to study it, but we want to apply it. First, lots of times we usually just go to application. But what we want to do in the discipline of study is study it first, understand it first, then go to application. And then you can write the title and summarize it. And, um, and so let's look at how this possibly could work out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, we have powerful verse that we can make to say anything we want right now. Here's what I mean. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from this cup. Hold on a second. Read this. It's in the Bible. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So we eat in an unworthy manner. We are guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That does not sound good at all. I mean, then it says everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread. So it's easy to take this passage and apply it. However we want to apply it. We could take this one, these two verses here and apply it however we want. But if we're going to uh, you know, engage with Scripture and enter in, into this discipline of study, let's, let's do a proper due process in terms of study. Number one, what's the background? What's the setting? We must understand the general background of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth or churches in Corinth. Corinth was a seaport city. So imagine this big horn right here, and then, and then this is water all around it. This is brilliant of me, by the way. Land, water. Got it, right? Got it. Land, water. And then, and then sailors, if they went all the way across the horn, they would probably be, like, robbed and murdered and all that stuff. And, and, and so they, what they'd do, they'd come, like, halfway down or three-quarters of the way down, stop, unload their cargo go all the way across dry land. Oh, and there's the city of Corinth. And then eventually they would go to the other side and load their cargo onto another ship and then continue with it. So the city of Corinth was a seaport city. People came from all backgrounds, all the theological backgrounds, philosophical backgrounds um, different backgrounds in terms of different gods of all the different nations so you had, in fact they had a uh, they had a temple to the god god uh, to the the goddess of love to the god of goddess of wine, and in fact some of the temple for prostitutes where their act of worship was to do those types of acts and that city was like eclectic in every single way and anything you can imagine was there that's just the general context of first corinthians going on there so you can imagine people coming to church knowing the lord they must have some crazy stories coming in so what happens is these people in the church there they bring that stuff in someone writes a letter to the apostle paul the apostle paul hears about this and then he starts writing back The passage here in 1 Corinthians 11, as we talk about the background and the personal paraphrase and the questions and answers and the cross-references, this here is, in in, in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 9, 10, and 11, and and maybe even 12, is a question of disunity. So some questions I have would be, why is disunity such a big deal? Is there disunity in my life? What's, what's so important about the Lord's Supper? Why did they eat the meal together as in the Lord's Supper? And all sorts of questions like this. You just ask and ask and ask these questions. But then, in my mind, it goes, oh, wait a minute. The Lord's Supper, it goes back to Exodus, and you can talk about the Passover and all of that and kind of connect it and everything going on. And then as you read, as we read chapters 9, 10, 11, 12, we see a pattern of what's going on. And here's what we're happening. They're having these love feasts agape feasts, and they would celebrate the Lord's Supper like in a big old party, okay? So so you would come in, and it was like a potluck-style party. So the rich people would bring the rich stuff, the best meat of the day. They'd bring the smoke barbecue stuff. Then later on, the poor people would come in but here's what would happen. As the rich people are bringing their smoke barbecue and all that fun stuff, um, they would realize that their workers were still working, the poor were still working, and they didn't want to wait. So they started drinking and eating and enjoying it for themselves. By the time the poor people came in, they had their can of Spam. I'm not making fun of Spam. I'm just saying it's not that expensive. It's good. And a zip pack. And, and uh, don't send me, by the way, don't send me an email like, hey, listen, spam is really good, but there's like, here's how you have to prepare it. All right? If you do, it's going to go my spam email. <laughs> that work all right? Pretty good? <laughs> Pretty good? Come on, give it to me. All right. <laughs> Somebody told me that after first service, and I'm like, I gotta use that somehow. <laughs> so, anyways, so so then the poor would bring in their peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and all that, and the rich would be just just slosh and just full of this choice meat. And what would happen? The poor people would come in and they'd say, "Well, what part do I have in the kingdom of God?" So that kind of answers our question: the importance of unity. And why Paul was so big that we cannot have disunity. And so we read this in 1 Corinthians 11. To to kind of pull this passage together here. To kind of give us a better understanding and in terms of the context. Um, So then my brothers and sisters in verse 33. When you gather to eat you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. So the idea of eating in an unworthy manner is when these men and women would have these feasts and they would say, who cares about the people who have to work and are, you know, less than us because we're going to enjoy our own food. That's the idea of unworthy. Of eating in an unworthy manner, in fact, people were becoming sick because of that and um, and so so so, the point is is that let 's do our proper Bible study. Bible study is so important, and in fact, if you notice on this form here on the front side there 's a little qr code, and here 's what we want to do because the whole idea of this series is is introducing us to these spiritual disciplines, giving us some some ways of how we could practice these disciplines, and then practice them so we talked about prayer we talked about fasting and if you haven't been here the last two weeks go online to our website and check it out and um, and use that as a catalyst for you to grow in your spiritual walk because what we want to do is we want to put ourselves in a position for God to do good and amazing things in and through us so he gets the glory so on this side here what we're going to do we're offering everybody who wants one a free resource and this resource is called Study Gateway, and it's a Bible study resource that, that the church has paid for. You don't have to pay for anything, we, we, but we bought it for you for a year if you want it. So like, let's say you want a Bible study, and you just go to the subject matter. You go, okay, click on Bible study, click, click, and then it brings in all the Bible studies. Maybe you have a personal uh, favorite, like Christian theologian, or Christian author, or Christian speaker. You go, you can search by the uh, person's name and all that, and then that person's name will come up in all the different resources. You know, people like John Orberg and Philip Yancey are on there. Scholars like um, John Walton are on, there. Old Testament scholars. Things like that. It's a, it's a whole, it's a, it's, a, it's a wealth of knowledge. Um, some of the resources are really new. Some are more, uh, some are a little older. But the cool thing is a lot of them are videos. So they're just like six to eight Week videos. You can watch one a day, one a week. You could do it by yourself. You could do it with the family. You could do it in a small in a ohana group. You you pick and choose. Um, But if you want that, here's what you do: you scan this, bring out your iPhone, and just get the camera like you're taking a picture, and then just. Just point the camera there, and then this little uh, um, notification will come up at the top. You click on that. You put your name and your email, and by Wednesday or Thursday, you'll have access for the next year of all of this. And, um, And it's a really cool resource that we want to give to you. If you don't have an iPhone and you have an Android or something inferior... Download, go to the App Store or whatever you have there on the Android, and then go to the QR code app and download that. If you're still, like, saying, what are you even talking about, talk to Pastor Danny. He will head, hook you up, okay? Like, I'm serious. <laughs> Makes sense? So we want to give you resources to all this. And the band could come on this note here. The whole idea of spiritual disciplines is this. Learning it, understanding it, kind of being introduced to it, and then living it out so that we could put ourselves in a position for God to do work in, and through us. It's really, really exciting. And also, always check our website because we're constantly updating our website. In fact, we have brand new resources on our website that just went up this past week. Resources about mental health issues, resources about biblical studies, and resources about um, relationships. Resources, 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 resources. So so go to our website, kymikechristian.org. There's resources there. We are continuing to be a church that's looking to the future, that's casting vision, that wants to grow ourselves spiritually, but also do the things to honor God. And then we also are a church that reaches out and cares for others. And sometimes people first need us to know that there are resources for them. And sometimes people don't know where to go. And so the more we study, the more we learn, the more effective we're going to be at reaching out to people and to those around us. And the whole point of all this stuff, of studying, of learning, of reaching out, is so that God gets the glory, is so that we know who he is. We have an encounter with the living God. And then as we interact with people, they start seeing the Holy Spirit move within us. And uh, and like I've said before, it's always all about Jesus. And so with that said, let's stand and let's sing and let's respond.